Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. And since it's Tuesday, the 5th of February 2019, a happy Chinese New Year to one and all. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Now, people born under the sign of the Earth Pig apparently have a strong sense of timekeeping. And while I don't know if he is a pig or not, with me, as always, <laughs> the man who's never late for his numbers, oh, our US yeah. expert, Mark Pender. So oh. a happy new year and oink oink to you, Mark. Happy oink oink to you too, Jeremy. Okay, so then what do we got this week? Well, um, stateside, the data have started to flow again. Well, at least for the time being. Employment's still looking strong, but has the Fed gone dovish? While in, my part, while in my part of the world, what does a new recession in Italy mean for the rest of the Eurozone? And we have some central bank meetings this week, too. Anyway, let's start with you, Mark. So okay. was Friday's employment report as strong as first appearances suggest? And if so, yes. what on the earth is going on with the Fed? I, it's a very strong, but it's not inflationary. And we have the same, um, you know, I, you have to define this now in economic terms, some kind of a, of a secular, gigantic, generational shift in the way that economic uh, forces are uh, playing out. And right now, uh, for still mysterious reasons, it's not creating uh, a very, very strong demand for labor is not creating uh, a significantly accelerating uh, wage pressures. So that's giving the Fed um, a chance now to step back. Now, ostensibly, this was a, you know, a, 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 this is a major shift. They changed their guidance to the Fed. This doesn't always happen. This is a formal, significant mm -hmm. shift. And really, it's your it's it, it, it's the fault of, of on your side of the pond, Jeremy. It's, oh, blame uh, the Europeans, or, yeah. or or the or the Pacific too, I guess a little bit, of, of course, with China. But um, it's global slowing is the risk right now, and uh, so that's what the Fed has now kind of formally look is looking at very specifically. Uh, and uh, but I, must say, I thought the Fed had a sort of reputation of looking domestically, and you know the rest of the world kind of does its own thing, but. So long yeah. as the Fed sets policy for the U.S. and it works, job done. It's the shifting mysteries of Fed speak. They can move their nuances, and even more than nuances, just out. It's within this bureaucratic uh, lingo. When they really need to, they can step back and just just say employment and inflation is all we look at, which is apparently what um, – what uh, uh, Jerome Powell and uh, told uh, Donald Trump last night at dinner. Mm -hmm. So you can. Uh, so those are their, uh, the the two official pillars of policy. The third being financial market uh, uh, stability, which they can drag in and out at uh, when they need to. And now it's global uh, economic uh, uh, behavior. So it's really uh, you know it, it's it's an ever changing ever moving and and they can do pretty much what they want you really can't tell them that, that you know what you're doing is contrary to your policy or your the tradition of, of your statements and things like that so and it, it's always presented in such an incremental marginal fractional change that they try not to get anyone's alarms going but at the same time there was a gradual movement away from rate uh, hikes we saw that at the December FOMC. At that time, it didn't satisfy the markets. They just said they were going to have two uh, rate hike at the same time they raised rates in December. They uh, cut their outlook for this year uh, down to two rates from three rates. Now, they didn't talk about how many rate hikes 
um, they're going to have this year. And it still could be two if the incoming data uh, perk up a little bit. And they very well might perk up. It's a, uh, we had some solid uh, uh, reports, that not only the uh, employment report, uh, but also uh, this week, we're, uh, this morning, we had a very solid uh, services uh, reports, a little bit slower, but still a very, very uh, sustainable, strong rate of growth. And, you know, uh, 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 people are hiring and the outlook for the first quarter is uh, pretty good. Uh, and uh, but I do have to say there was one uh, kind of a, an alarm that is going off here is that January auto sales slowed very sharply. And that is a could be a warning of consumer spending trouble for the first quarter, but we're still trying to get consumer spending data for the fourth quarter. We still don't know how um, retail sales went in December. Now, let me shift it over to you. Now, you guys are out in Europe. You are getting uh, December retail sales reports. Is that right? We are. That's right. And we had, um, well, I suppose what you got to say is some extremely disappointing retail sales coming out of Europe. Um, we saw, a, well, basically a collapse in December retail sales. Now, these are volume terms, of course. We're not talking about you know, cash measurements here. This is the actual you know, the number of units being sold. And they were down at 1.6% on the month as far as December's concerned. And that's one of the worst falls we've seen in an extremely long time. Now, it looks as if for the fourth quarter, um, we're still talking about an increase on a quarter-on-quarter basis of Eurozone volume sales of about 0.6. But because December was so weak, it means that we're going to have to see fairly strong monthly growth in January through March, just to make sure that we get you know, the first quarter retail sales even holding steady. So already, just because of what's happened to retail sales you know, at the back end of last year, if you like, it's made for some you know, some downside bias as far as uh, you know, Europe's concerned for the first quarter. And, and this is combined with a weakening in industrial production. Well, it, um, we don't have the December for industrial production yet. Um, for, sorry, we don't have industrial production uh, data for December yet. But really, unless we're going to see a humongously large December monthly gain, um, then we're going to see a second successive quarterly fall in Eurozone industrial production in the fourth quarter. And that's going to put it into technical recession. Well, talk of recession here is considered, uh, I think, irresponsible right now. What do they say to you when that topic comes up? Well, one of the issues now people are starting to look at is we've got the first signs of recession happening in Europe. And for folks who missed it, um, last week we had the fourth quarter, first stab at the first quarter of national accounts out of Italy. They showed a second successive quarterly decline in GDP. Now, it's only 0.2% on a quarter-on-quarter -quarter basis, but coming after a 0.1% dip in the third quarter, you know, in economists speak, that equates with a technical recession. And the question now is, you know, is it the case that when Italy coughs, the rest of Eurozone catches a cold? And I guess it's just kind of worth just talking about that a little bit. Um, now, I think in terms of the real economy, there's probably not too much to worry about in terms of knock-on effects. It's worth remembering that you know, Italy has been underperforming for years now. In fact, if you, an idea, well, a measure of just how poorly it has been um, of growing, if you look at the, the current level, the latest level of gross domestic product in Italy, it's still over 5% below where it was at its peak level before the Great Recession. 
Now, if you look at the rest of the eurozone, Germany's up over, what, 12.5%, France is up 9%, even Spain, which is one of the slow growers during the initial turnaround from recession, that's up almost 5%. Are, are these inflation-adjusted percent change? Yeah, these are all real growth numbers. And in Italy, how, I mean, it, it's significantly smaller than Germany, smaller than France. How does it compare in size to the UK? Well, it's more it's smaller than the UK as well. Um, if we look at in, ter- in terms of its importance in the eurozone, Germany stacks up as about thirty percent of the eurozone at the moment. France is round about twenty percent, and and Italy is about fifteen percent. So I mean, clearly, I mean, it's a big enough proportion that you can't afford to ignore it. But it's not so big that, you know, as as in the case of something like Germany, that you know where it goes, it's going to tend to drag the eurozone with it. And where is Italy uh, slowing? Is it in consumer, uh, industry, housing, jobs? Well, the trouble in Italy, it never really got growing. We did start to see a pickup in investment a long time ago, but domestic demand out there, and particularly the household sector, because we have such high levels of unemployment, it's hardly been growing for a long time now. And retailers have been squeezed for you know several years simply because of the fact that consumption's been so weak. Uh-huh. But you know, from the investor viewpoint, I think you know the big worry, and, I'm, and this isn't something new. We've talked about it you know, in in previous uh, podcasts. Is what happens from the financial sector because that's where the contagion risks lie. Now, bear in mind that we're already talking at the moment about a new Italian government which has been breaking EU fiscal rules because it wants to go out, spend more, uh, reduce taxes to get the economy growing again. So now we've got this recession in Italy, presumably you're going to feel even more obliged to do that. Now, public borrowing in Italy is about, what, one and a half trillion euros. I mean, it is absolutely huge. And the government needs to sell more than 400 billion euros worth of bonds a year just to keep, well, the show on the road, if you like. Now, you know, that starts raising then issues about, you know, will they be able to fund themselves? Now, most of that debt is by all means held by Italian banks, and a lot of those banks are vulnerable in the first place. But there's also significant exposure for the German banks, and in particular, French banks. And they've got some retail units on the floor in Italy as well. So I wouldn't overplay it at the moment, but I think, you know, investors need to be aware that, as we've seen in previous times, when Italy does start to get at least some kind of financial cough, then, you know, the rest of the Eurozone can also get some kind of, you know, a hit anyway in terms of its health too. So it is something I think which needs, you know, we really need to keep an eye on. Are, are large holders of Italian debt trying to uh, liquidate uh, their holdings? Well, I wouldn't go that far yet. I mean, as, as we speak, I mean, Italian BTP yields are rising. I just look, if we compare to where we are now with a week ago, then um, the BTP yields are up about, what, 12 basis points, something like that. Compared with, if you like, the, you know, the obvious um, countries at risk, the likes of Spain and Greece, well, those yields are actually still a little bit lower now than they were a week ago. So we haven't seen big contagion effects. We have seen some indications of you know, disinvestment out of Italy. But you know, don't forget that when we had some big problems over the budget deficit at the back end of last year, we had Italian BTB yields going well above 3% mark. So it's early days yet, but you know, something to keep an eye on, I think. And, and now what, let's move to the, you know, the geopolitical uh, economics. The, um, is there a political risk in Italy, the, uh, the move to the right? Has that, has that eased? Uh, and the other question, side of question, if it hasn't eased or if the European economy begins to uh, flatten out, what does that say for the, for the general uh, movement to the r- political right in Europe as a whole? 
Well, certainly, and this is going to be a good test case, I think, because we had, as, as people may remember, you know, a right royal punch-up uh, between the Italian government and the EU Commission over what Italy wanted to do with its 2019 budget deficit. You know, we had a big fracas at the back end of last year. Now, they came out with some kind of sort of semi-fudge compromise, um, which still left really the deficit too big. But, you know, the danger is that, as we've, we've seen in Italy now, that there has been a shift to the right. There's certainly been a shift in terms of, you know, the anti-establishment grouping, which at the end of the day will probably simply want to come out and start, you know, reflating policy again to make sure that what is currently you know, a very mild recession at the moment doesn't turn into a major recession. If that were to happen, of course, you know, we've got these European elections which we talked about coming up in May, and we could see a shift you know, moving in that direction then as well. And that really does start posing a, a major problem for well Eurozone financial markets, but particularly the Euro. Another problem, uh, I guess this is my, uh, my last question for you, is uh, Brexit, of course, and now, and uh, I saw uh, a miracle coming out yesterday, which seemed to say that a compromise over the Irish border uh, could be reached. Is that a significant thing? Is it, are there any uh, 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 expectations forming for what we, you know, to what we can expect? Well, I mean, the honest answer to this is we don't know. I think with regards to Angela Merkel, and of course, we're talking here about you know, a, a weakened chancellor for Germany since you know, as she stepped down as head of her party of, of the party leadership. But I think she's always been someone who's always tried to adopt you know, a softly, softly line towards Brexit and done her best to achieve some kind of agreement. Um, I think from everything that we've had coming out of the EU Commission at the moment, it still looks as if there's no obvious solution whatsoever. I miss his May is I think she's due to be meeting with Angela Merkel later on this week to try and you know, get some more discussions going again. But everything we've heard coming out of Brussels to date really has been, well, look, the Irish backstop is written into the treaty. It stays in the treaty as given. So it's anyone's guess as to whether or not they can fudge some kind of compromise. But I think, you know, from where the pound's trading at the moment, we talked a little about that last week about sterling euro being the litmus test of what's going on. Well, the pound's have been gradually sliding since we last spoke. And I think it does indicate that markets are getting a little bit more concerned about you know, the increased probability of a hard Brexit. And that's not to say that's going to happen by any means, but you know, investors are getting just that little bit more nervous now. Um, right. If I quickly just stick with the UK and just go on to the central bank meetings before we run out of time. Thursday in the UK then, although it's still relevant to Brexit, we'll be getting a Bank of England meeting. Uh, nothing at all is expected out of that. And in part, that just reflects well, really what Mark was talking about, which is Brexit, because it's such a fog at the moment as to what's going to happen with regards to Brexit. And until you know what happens to Brexit, you can't know what's going to happen to the UK economy. There's really no justification whatsoever for the, for the bank to change tax. So in Interest rates, bank rate will very much stay at 0.75%. The one thing it will be worth looking out for, I think, now, is whether there's any kind of shift in the bias. Mark mentioned about the Fed coming more concerned, perhaps about global developments, where it's quite possible that the, the Bank of England will adopt the same sort of tone. At the moment, they're still talking that interest rates should go up, assuming we get some sort of Brexit deal in the future. It's possible that they may withdraw that um, tightening bias. I don't think they will, but it's something to keep an eye on. And with the pound vulnerable at the moment because of Brexit, were they to pull that tightening bias, it could actually undermine the pound, I think, quite significantly.
Sticking quickly with the central banks, the, um, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, they announced no change in their official cash rate earlier on today. That stays at 1.5%. But again, and you're probably picking up a theme here, they also revised down their growth forecast and talked about increasing downside global risks. So that's another central bank. You're basically singing from the same from the same hymn sheet. And lastly, another one which I think will be interesting for the emerging markets, markets and that's the Reserve Bank of India. Thursday, we're going to see uh, the bank which now operates under a new central bank chief. If people might remember that the previous um, head of the central bank resigned due to pressure from the government to basically adopt a more you know, politically friendly monetary policy at the back end of last year. So we're now going to see a central bank which in theory is at least leans much more friendly towards the existing government. So in terms of what happens on Thursday, um, the markets are not expecting any change in the key repo rate. That's currently 6.5%. But they do expect to see a change from what is currently the bias towards a tightening to a neutral stance. Mm. And interestingly, looking at a new survey from Reuters, they now suggest that economists are looking for a cut in RBI, RBI interest rates by June at the latest. And that compares with expectations for a tightening next quarter at the back end of last year. Jeremy, so, Jeremy, doesn't yeah. this, this has a feel, I mean, the IMF came out a couple of weeks back and marginally shaved their GDP, global GDP expectations. So the, the tone of what we're talking about seems like it, they could have done more of a substantial uh, scaling back. It, it may be. I think, you know, from the, the RBI side, it's going to be interesting now to see how investors react. Because if we do see a shift in turn, let alone a cut in interest rates, say, next quarter, then we've seen this U-turn from a central bank, which ostensibly, OK, Italy may, uh, Italy, India may not be looking quite as strong as it was previously, but it's still in pretty good shape. So to cut interest rates, having talked about hiking interest rates, on that really would, you know, smack of political interference. And how investors are going to take that would be really interesting. I think you know we could see the rupee come off quite sharply on the back of it. But more generally, yeah, you may well be right. It's a case of whether we're talking about some kind of slow, you know, soft landing and a, a slow slowdown for the global economy, or whether or not perhaps it's just a temporary dip and things go back up again. You say could happen in the states. But I think you know investors need to be alert to the fact now that you know there's more and more of these central banks who are kind of admitting to the fact that things are not developing as they might hope, and in that kind of environment yeah you've got to be alert to the fact that you know, interest rates perhaps have topped out in general next move is going to be down and if you're likes of the ecb of course where you've still got a refi rate which is on zero that's not good news mm. okay um anything else mark anything else we should be talking about today i think that's pretty good for now okay well i guess then on which note um we close it there um, in Chinese culture, pigs represent wealth and treasure. So here's hoping that everyone has a very profitable week's trading. So on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Please do tune in again next week and we'll speak to you then. Bye for now.